Ladies and gentlemen. Pacific Sound Radio. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson. And I'm Travis Noel. War Baby are a heavy rock power trio that incorporates elements of alternative rock, sludge metal, and noise rock in a fashion that they like to compare to, quote, lightning bolt covering Nirvana covering Black Sabbath, unquote. Over the course of their 10-plus year career, the band has played over 200 live shows and have opened for international touring acts including Royal Blood, Dune Rats, White Lung, DZ Death Rays, and Eagles of Death Metal. How's it going, guys? Hello. Good, thank you. How are you? Thank you. Pretty good. Miraculously not hungover this Sunday. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Uh Uh-huh. So let's do some introductions for our listeners. What's your name and what do you play? Uh, my name's Kirby, and I play drums and do a bit of singing. John, I do guitar and singing and vocals. Good stuff. So how did War Baby come together, or how, or should I say, how was the band born? Um, terrible, <laughs> terrible baby pun. Um, basically, Kirby um, came over from Australia and was uh, we were working together doing picking picking vintage clothing together in a rag house, and um, I'd heard about him being a drummer before um, from another picker that was Australian that was friends with Kirby, and yeah, we just it sounded like he'd have similar musical interests, mm-hmm. and then yeah, had some songs, and we just got together and just it really clicked, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was like quite a while ago. <laughs> that's going to say how long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely pretty much it. It was we seriously came together because we our job was to go through essentially dead people's discarded clothing and try to find the diamonds in the rough. And over that process, we just figured out that we love a lot of the same stuff. So we're like, well, it kind of makes sense to just go into a room if you play stuff and I play stuff. Let's just see what happens. And it, yeah, like John said, it just kind of clicked. And then it really clicked when Brock came in. Like, it just was kind of we were like flailing around like two idiots that were using this medium of turning it up to 11 to just kind of, you know, be our boxing bag or whatever. And then when Brock came in, we're like, oh, shivers. Oh, I'll strike me down. This is good. <laughs> oh, strike. Yeah, strike <laughs> me down. <clears throat> Try not to swear. So. Did, oh, you are allowed to swear on, on the program, oh, but... Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck's sake, Raw gravy's coming now. Bloody raw gravy. Do you know about our alter ego raw gravy? No, actually, yeah. I want to hear about that. Oh, you bloody will, mate. It'll come out soon enough. So what's your next <laughs> oh, question? okay. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess a, a spinoff question I did have about that is, since you did start as a two-piece, did you ever play any War Baby shows as just the the pair of you, or was it... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you did? Okay. We, we had a couple years, um, two or three years, where it was just me and Curbs, and yeah, yeah. just um, slugged it out. It wasn't that easy, too, oh, because we're both sorry. sort of outsiders, you know, Kirby being from, from Oz, and I didn't grow up here. Um, 
so yeah, it was yeah, it was hard to it was a bit hard to. Um, I'm not gonna say it's cliquey here, but it's like it's kind of tough to be an outsider here and not. I suppose that'd be the same for any city, but this was the city that that happened to us. So <laughs> yeah, we didn't um, care though. Like it kind of became kind of became fuel. Yeah, it was we, like we fun. Were determined, so. We were determined, but it was also like this weird badge of honor, the more that somebody was confused by it. It was like, okay, good. Well, I don't want you to be like completely be able to understand it straight away. So if you're confused, it was kind of like, keep going. It'll, it'll sort itself out. So, and it kind of did. I mean, if you're confusing, you're memorable. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's tons of stuff that's confusing that's memorable and terrible. So it doesn't, I'm not sure where we fit in it, but we were definitely, we definitely weren't prioritizing what you cared about about it was what we cared about so it's kind of always stayed that way too yeah yeah and kind of on that you guys compare your sound to quote unquote you know lightning bolt covering nirvana covering black sabbath which oh, i would say is so a stupid i, is, I, I don't know i like it way, it's, a, it's a pretty apt description <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't compare ourselves that way i gotta Other change do, do throw some stuff i gotta yeah. change that <laughs> no I, I mean i like that because it I reminds it, me of if it made sense to you then then we're doing it's it, something's right about that. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the way uh, uh, Kurt Cobain would describe Nirvana. I think he famously described the band as the sound of what was it? Um, the oh, Bay, Bay City Z. Rollers being molested by Black Flag and Black Sabbath, which is <laughs> <laughs> just terrible but very funny. <laughs> no, the knack and the Bay City Rollers being molested by Black Sabbath and Black Flag. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Again, terrible but yeah, colorful. It's, it's hard, though. I mean, like, it's hard to... Imagine, you know, starting a dating profile or whatever and, and, and some lady walks in and she's like, all right, buddy, so I need you to set up your profile here. And I was explaining to the lovely ladies out there, what is it about you that's going to sell yourself? It's hard. You're like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm good at cooking pasta. Like, it's, it's not... <laughs> it's, it's tough. So it's... When it comes to, like, explaining the thing that you make with your friends in a room, I find that... It's one of the hard... I think we've always struggled with verbalizing it a little bit. I think, too, like... I don't know if you agree or not, but I, I always thought, like... I do not agree. <laughs> it's instantly not agree. I don't want to fit into a genre that neatly. I don't really like... Um, I don't really like any one genre. Like, I'm not... Yeah. That's not the kind of listener I am, and I don't really want to just be one genre so i don't know we just did we just kind of took bits and pieces of what we liked and totally. yeah. and didn't really think about it too too yeah, much either exactly. like it just kind of came out the way that it was and yeah, yeah. I, I think i completely agree with john i think like if it's two things that we both or all three of us have in common is that we both kind of have an equal love for energy and melody so by that i just mean like it's we're so ADHD as people that it's going to come out that way regardless. But we also all love pop music before anything else, like by a landslide too. So I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one to kind of verbalize. Yeah, and this might be a tough question because of that. But how would how would you say you guys have been able to differentiate yourselves from the bands you love while still wearing your influences on your sleeves? Because like I can certainly hear your influences but i can tell the difference between what you're doing and the bands that you're influenced by have done of course i think you just treat it like being yourself like you just treat it as well this is a piece of you know you can you can see what i like in this but 
that doesn't, you yeah. know, you just be yourself, really. Like, yeah. that's the best way that I, I could describe it. You just, you just can't overthink it. You can't have a game plan when you're, like, you know, if, if you see, like, the best artists, if you, like, watch them with, like, a paintbrush and, and some paint, they just start with no idea. They just go, like, shiklaki and do a little Freddy Krueger splat or a th thingy. And then like, they're like, oh, that, that has just triggered that idea to now go into that. And it just becomes this kind of domino effect. And I think the more you talk about what it should be, the kind of the less believable it's going to be or something. Yeah. Everything's going to be influenced by something, you know. Like, but for us, all those influences are subconscious and they're never, ever discussed about. You know? We are 90s kids. You know, we're from that, we're, we're young and impressionable when all that stuff was popping off. So it's definitely in there but so is a trillion other things. And I think on this record, you'll hear it way more than any other record, those other influences that will start to kind of shine a bit brighter. For sure. Oh, sorry. Oh, Go ahead, John. No, that's okay. I didn't really have much to add to that, but I don't even, like for the last like three years, I haven't even listened to any 90s music and I, I don't really pay that much attention to what's going on currently either. Like I, I feel like I've been listening to like like library music composers for the last like like yeah. 70s weird psychedelic funk music for it's the last strange. like three years <laughs> like i don't i don't know i just i'm a really eclectic listener and i think yeah, you could probably get that from our music or not i don't really doesn't really affect me i just think we like to do what we like to do and that's it you know and it works and yeah. probably works best on this new record too we, it was really organic, and we just really let it come out the way that it should. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so I promise this is my last question where I ask about specific influences and stuff like that, but I, I did want to uh, mention this. You guys are you know one of a handful of bands in Vancouver that I, from my perspective as a listener, is helping to keep the spirit of 90s alternative rock alive. What do you think is what do you think it is about this particular era in rock music that has had such a lasting legacy? Ooh. <laughs> well, I don't know. Last, I guess one thing that just springs to mind, like I don't know if this is right or not, but it's the last time that I can really remember being t very excited by mainstream, yeah, like music that has broken out into the mainstream but maybe that's not even that's kind of not no, true I, I, too but I, I it, it was an exciting like, time I, for I feel like I agree yeah I think it was kind of like the, the whole 90s thing you know it's kind of like the it, for me if I'm to really dissect it or try to it's the last period where it seemed to really matter to, to teenagers to kids you know what I mean like I feel like in this day and age with everything being so easy in terms of being able to dig for it and find it you miss the thrill of the hunt a little bit more. And for me, oh, I think that's... the 90s was maybe the last, the last kind of goodbye of like, this is, this is kind of, um, there was something about it that was like, all right, we're leaving you with a bang. We're on our way out. And that's way closer to what I was trying to say. I don't know what the it is, like the leaving you with a bang, but I just, there's something about it. It was the last kind of breath of, breath of air out of the music industry or something. And there was money. There was so much money to like invest in bands and see if it was worth a shot or not. There's not a cent in the music industry anymore. So, but with that, 
there might be less money for the powers to be to throw it around. But now you have this other beautiful thing that's emerged, which, which is you don't actually need that money. You just do it yourself. You know? So I think for me, if I'm going to put it in a nutshell, it was, the, it was just like the last great period where things were so focused on having fun and just being honest and real. And now there's just too many influences every second of every day in the palm of your phone. And it just kind of clouded things a little bit. But obviously, there's going to be every older generation like myself and John that are going to have some yeah. nostalgic kind of, you know, we're, cuddles we're, for it. Kind of, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> this will happen to anybody that, you know, Absolutely. anybody hearing this, this will happen to anybody. Like, we're, we're probably sounding like grandpas right now. But I definitely think you're right about the preciousness of, like, physical music or like yeah. you know reading about this band in a fanzine or, totally. some, or, or something yeah. that's not as common now because of the internet and and um just you know yeah. other other viral things like even beyond the internet okay you know, i think so. i have a good analogy for it it's it's the end of high school graduation party was the 90s so it was this last hurrah with your friends that's how it honestly feels like for me when i look back on that period a lot of it was because I was the right age for that period for it to feel like that. But for me, it's, it's just, I don't know. But you have to understand too, when John and I first started, if you did anything that sounded remotely like what we're doing right now, it was so confusing for people because it was definitely not in the zeitgeist. There was no, you know, Sub Pop wasn't putting out bands like Mets yet. That was putting out Fleet Foxes and stuff. There was nothing that was like cranked to 11 that had any sort of like throwback to that period. We never spoke about it. It's just that John's voice just so happens to have a bit of whatever attached to it that fits into that little bubble. And I hit hard because it's just the way that I play. And those two things are obviously going to kind of accidentally create a little bit of, oh, I can pull the influence from that, that, and that. But at the end of the day, it's not spoken about. Just get in there and have fun. Yeah. Definitely. Um, shifting gears a bit, the band has played over 200 shows to date touring parts of Canada and on on several occasions and even some dates in China. I do have to ask, how did you wind up playing over there and what was that experience like? Okay, so... That's uh, tough. So I, I know this guy, um, this Chinese fellow that was living here and I ended up um, meeting him and then like even living with him for a little while and he ended up being sort of like a, a big deal in um, in... The music industry and now the film industry. His name's LD, and um, yeah, he at, at the time he was doing a lot of stuff where it was like cultural exchange programs. So he he had um, sort of the power to bring us into this festival in uh, a, a city called Qingdao, and he's based out of Beijing. And he brought us over with this band called Fake Shark. Um, yeah and we didn't know each other and we ended up being like we ended up being like best friends and just having such a good time like they put us up for a week and we were in hotels and like al brought us brought us out to like so crazy nice. beijing dinners yeah. and then we went out on a train and it was all fucking paid for like it was all like so yeah it was it was a really really good time it was the craziest thing because it was so it was the most rock star shit that we've ever been through and I think 
previous to that, we were playing Chilliwack to like a room full of yeah. maybe like 40 people that were trying to con- trying to figure out how they were going to kill us. Hello, fart. Hello, friend. Um, uh, sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to call you fart. Um, hello, friend fart. But and then you went from that to then like a week later after having to, you know, scan our passports and do the, the whole kind of legitimate thing. All of a sudden we're in Beijing. We get picked up in this huge kind of like bus that was just for the bands and we're like this are you sure about us being here and then it was a two-day festival and he's like okay so tonight you're in this this really nice hotel we're all used to as i'm sure every well a lot of bands are you're just crammed into sharing one hotel if you're lucky enough to do that and we all had our own rooms it was Whoa. so luxurious and it was crazy I we each got our own. that was one of the greatest memories we're like, my own fucking room amazing but then we get to the festival and it is literally Woodstock is so massive. The stage that we're set to play on is ginormous. I'm like, what time are we on? They're like, you guys are on third. I'm like, no one's going to know us though, man. People barely know us in bloody Chilliwack down the road. I don't think they're going to really know us here in Qingdao in China. Sure enough, we, we walk out on stage. Uh, you know, we go the day previous sound check, walk out. It's humongous field, like absolutely massive. There's Maybe like at this point, because we're early in the day, there's probably about ten to 15,000 people scattered around a huge field. It was the weirdest thing. But on the barrier watching us was about probably like 500 insanely enthusiastic kids that had no idea who we were. And we walked out and we're like, hey, uh, war baby? And... Uh, uh I just... Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming. <laughs> okay, let's kick it in. And then... We had like one of the greatest shows ever. And the saddest thing about this whole, this whole trip was it was professionally filmed by like big crane cameras that would swoop in, drone cameras and all of these crazy cameras with like the big side stage festival screens. And we're like, oh man, it's gonna be so cool to have that footage. We've tried for years to try to get that footage. Just ghost. Such a waste. So there's a billion stories about that trip, but it was surreal would be the word I would use. And... Um yeah, just so much. I, I was so confused about what was going on in that city, too. Were you? Yeah. Like, it just felt like this ghost city, like, that had just been built. Yeah. And so we would go out at night yeah. and go to a bar, and it would be, like, probably I'd see, like, 60%, like, Westerners hanging out at this bar, and nobody in the street except yeah, one crazy guy or something like that. Like, yeah. I just didn't know what was going on there. Yeah, it was a sur- it was a was really, it really surreal, really surreal experience. But we're really grateful for yeah. it. And then we came back, and we had a great show. When we first came back, like oh my god, things are changing. <laughs> we played we played with New Sensei, um, who we loved at the time, who no longer around, at uh, like the Russian yeah, center like or Polish, something. Polish cultural center. It was a little yeah. festival thing, and that was packed as well. And, and then the show after that was back. And the show after that was back to a. Chilliwack situation, but you know, we had a moment. Yeah. So this, uh, hey Nana. Hey, Nana. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of friends passing by the <laughs> studio today. We had Fart. We, we had, had Nana. <laughs> you have a friend named Fart. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so this He's always linking around. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, boo. Hello. Get Hello. out of here. Hey. Hey. So this, uh, I guess this follow-up question is going to seem like a little bit of a, I don't know, less, less eventful? I don't know, but I'll ask it anyhow. You've had, kind of on that vein, you've had the opportunity to open up for a number of international touring acts, including Dune Rats, Royal Blood, 
Eagles of Death Metal. What would you say has been your most memorable show to date out of all these performances? I know mine. I'm not sure. Do you know yours? <laughs> um, you go ahead. No, okay. I... Royal Blood. And the reason for it is it was everything that I had in my head about a show was kind of like came true in that moment of walking out on stage. And by that, I mean, I've always had this kind of love-hate relationship with like the cool kids, you know, and I don't mean to kind of take the piss. I just mean, I've always prioritized fun being the most important thing. And if you overthink something with your like cool leather jacket, you generally don't have as much fun. I love nerds. I like people that just don't care. And I like there's something about th that royal blood audience that when I walked in, I was like, this, this is what I like. Like, these, these kids are just, they just want to have fun. Same with, like, a Dune Rat show. They just, like, want to have fun. It's, there's no pretension. There's no, none of them have ever fucking looked at the top ten things on Pitchfork. They just, they just want to have a good time. And that show, nobody really knew us. A few local people, maybe, but for the most part, no one really knew us, and we just won everybody over. It just felt really, really good, and it was, like, an amazing show. It was sold out, and that band is huge, and they were the nicest guys. Like, the whole, that whole night was just, for me, that was my, that's actually my favorite show ever. So, yeah, it was a lesson in, not really a lesson, but an eye-opening experience about certain bands with their certain crowds and how perhaps from, like, some tower of pretentiousness you could look down and be like that's not ticking the right boxes to get the cool points but then there's another way to look at it which I think the way you should look at it is just are people having a good time it was a really wonderful I, I totally totally agree that was like gotta be one of the best ones it's yeah. just I think like it's hard for me to say just one um, but the rickshaw shows anytime we play there we just feel pretty at home and the dune rat shows at the Richard. and the audiences of the dune rats have been yeah. so amazing it all depends on the audience really a lot of the time too but i was gonna say one one <laughs> standout that was probably actually like technically one of our worst shows ever but also one of my favorite probably one of my favorite shows in a way was our first show in the states oh. because we've had such a rough time um getting things sorted out to get to the States. Kirby's had some, some issue, issues getting, getting him across the border has been a tough thing. But when we finally did, we had, um, we'd booked uh, sort of the show that we needed to get our visa to get across the border. And uh, we knew it wasn't going to be like a really like super great show, but it was like literally just the bands and a few girlfriends and like the bartender and yeah. you know it was like really like a, what are we a great example of like people that just want to have a good time like the funnest nicest people well, yeah yeah that's where i was going is i like everybody that was there was just so fucking awesome to us and like just buying us drinks literally like getting right up right close to the stage and just like making us feel so at home for our first show in the States. And they were so into it and so kind. And I even met like a guy that I still keep in touch with from that show. And yeah, it was just like one of my favorite experiences because people were being so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, the, the, the States thing, that John's right. That, that first show was as a band, as people, as brothers, as best friends was 
the biggest like Hollywood group hug. Oh my God, we didn't die in the process of trying to have this terrible godforsaken thing on my name. We got it lifted and we got in finally. The only thing that we've cared about for the longest time is been able to take these songs across the border and play them for people. And that first show was just was a trophy. Amazing. It was just yeah. like a gold medal for us. So yeah, I agree with John. And such testimony to like just um, how an audience, like a good audience can make your, your night. Yeah. That's all I got to say. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So we, yeah, we definitely will <laughs> we'll play for any size of a crowd as long as they're awesome. having as much fun as we do, you yeah. know? So, yeah. And if they're not, we'll turn into raw, and if we'll turn into raw gravy. So what raw gravy is, mate, let, let me just fill you in real quick. All right. Raw gravy is the war baby alter ego. We're three cats. We're from Bristol, England. Now here's what happens. We walk into a room. We evaluate the room. If the room's not up to scratch, we turn into raw gravy. John's pointing out a guy on a massive Harley Davidson across the road with some sort of face mask. Is it safety? Or is he concerned about the coronavirus? More later on that. Or does he just want to look like... The- Darth Vader on a motorcycle. That's possibly a contender as well. He does have room at the back for another girl. Okay, so raw gravy. It's basically what we do if a show is turning to shit. We look at each other and go, it's time for some raw gravy. Very rarely happens, but it does. (laughs) And then we never get invited back. (laughs) And we pretend we're from... Bristol. 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 We all have the worst English. Perfect Bristol accent. (laughs) All right. Shifting gears a bit, uh, <laughs> I do. There's part of me that wants to see raw gravy in action, but at the same time, I know that's an indication that the show has not gone well. So yeah, I don't you really. Don't see it. No. no. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the recording process for the "You Are Not Here" LP. I read that you went over to the noise floor in Gabriella Island with an album's worth of material. Instead of laying down those tracks, you decided to completely scrap all those songs and write the record in the studio. What made you guys decide to start from scratch? Um, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right. I did my research. Um, this is this is your this is your your. Well, basically, it was one of these things where with okay, so the band is is you know Brock lives on the island, bass player. And he's an amazing songwriter, as is John. And those two guys just basically, normally the process, which is the same for a lot of bands, you get together and you go, these are some ideas, and you work on them. We just didn't have the time. So we, we booked a bunch of studio time with our main man, the doctor, talking about Dr. Coop, the noise floor. Check it out. What's up? And we went in. We had a couple of days. We booked a few more days before we started tracking to figure out what we we're going to do. Basically, just having, having the floor to jam. And we just didn't talk about it at all. We had both of these guys had like, I think the most that was brought to the table was were just a handful of riffs. And then we just, it just came together so insanely organically and quick that it was actually either going to be how we're going to do this whole process from now on in forever because it worked so tremendously well or it was just this beautiful planet aligning fluke. Either way, we couldn't be more proud and stoked with how it came out because I feel like from the first record was just John and I going, hello, this is us, this is our business card. And the second record was, hello, we have this new dynamic that's much better, check it out. This one was like, it felt, felt like for me personally, it feels like the first album as a band. So, and, and it's, it's the most like, 
I don't know, something else took over. It sounds so cheesy, and now that something else could very well be weed and alcohol, but whatever it was, we didn't, we didn't really have much say in the process. It just was so like tapping into a stratosphere that we didn't even know existed. So yeah, it was great, man. It was awesome. Yeah, sounds like it was a really exciting process. You Are Not Here is the fourth release that you've worked on with producer Jordan Coop. Coop has worked with a number of notable acts, including Orville Peck, formerly of New Sensei, Wolf Parade and Deadsoft, and his studio, The Noise Floor, has almost a mythical aura to it based off of the guests that we've had in the past who have talked about it. What is it about Coop's approach as a producer that works so well for the band? Uh, I think because he, you know, he has this sort of Albini-ish um, way of just letting the band do, like, he only offers input when you ask for it. You know, he he's there for you if you need it, but he also just kind of sets things up to sound the best that they can live off the floor, and then um, he lets you do your thing. And, you know, we, but this record, we actually work together a lot more with him, I feel like. Do you feel like, Kirby? Uh, like, I, I feel like we asked his opinion a lot, and we, yeah. we work together, and it's cool because, like, we've grown together with Coop. Yeah. To be honest, like, yeah. we've been recording records with him for a long time now, yeah. and I can see how much he's grown as, a, as an engineer and a pro- producer quote-unquote you know i couldn't agree more i think he's just a like everything with what makes a band work is chemistry i mean that's everybody knows that but the same can be said for the person that is trying to document what you're making like if that if there is even the slightest whiff that you feel uncomfortable in that space it's just not going to be it's not going to be as good it just won't be because how could it be like you don't want to be at a dinner party with someone who's fucking annoying like so jordan is just as a person is what makes him shine as a great producer because he's just a cool solid down-to-earth guy that is a that is just you just want to be around him um so i think his greatest skill set is just listening and kind of just you know hanging back and if you need him he's there and his inputs always for us has just been gold stars you know the noise floor too has like like you said it kind of has its own like aura like it's like between him and his his partner terry who is like one of our all of i feel like all of our best friends too like she is so wise and so important to the whole experience and the location of being there and just um camping out there as a band is so yeah, it, good for your spirit as a musician, I guess. I have, I have I to. to I agree. I have to say really quick, just to close this out. I have to say that Terry is equally as important as what Jordan is because it's the bit. The thing that the noise floor offers that very little studios, in my experience, can offer is to make you, the band, feel like you're staying at your at your mum's house or something. Like that's how comfortable yeah. you feel, and because you feel that comfortable, you can relax and breathe, and then all these ideas that may not have come out do come out, and that's just testament to them as human beings. Before for their, their, their skill set. Just couldn't recommend that place highly enough. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Agreed. The album is due for release on March 20th. Uh, tell us about the contest you're currently running to promote the record. How can listeners participate? 
Okay, so basically what we're doing is we're doing a pre-save Spotify competition. So what you will be required to do is go to our Instagram uh, at WarBabyBand and just click on one of the posts that you see, the more recent ones, and there will be a, a full detailed instruction list on what to do. You will go to the pre-save, uh, the pre-save link on Spotify. You will screen grab that and you will show us that you've done that. And if you'd like, you could send a a cute little pic of one of your favorite pets. It could be a goldfish. It could be a, we prefer, you know, really anything, anything that you love, send it. Cause mainly because we like getting them, but, um, and then we'll, we'll draw the winner on the 20th on the, the release day. And you will get one hell of a swag bag. I'm talking mystery prizes. Check. I'm talking t-shirts. What? We got them. You bloody betcha records. Do we have them? Well, it wouldn't be a bloody release play without them. Oh, so here's what I'm saying. Go and pre-save it. Don't be a dink. Click that link. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And speaking of which, your release show is planned for March 27th at the Rickshaw. What do you guys have in the works to make this show particularly memorable? Pyrotechnics. <laughs> I don't let Mo hear that. Pyrotechnics is a, is a cover band that's going to be opening for us. <laughs> <laughs> We're hiring a dude named, I think his name is Balls. <laughs> and he... Uh, what does he do, Kirby? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm glad y'all brought him up. His name? His, name is, his name is Balls. Uh, no, we... Okay, so John and I... John and I found this guy. Look, no promises. I'm going to give you... I'm going to leave you with this when it comes to the show. Yes, there'll be a few surprises, but going to keep them that way. But we do have this one guy, this one gentleman, that is... The best way to describe it is he is a multifunctional, multi-talented entertainer. Old, old school kind of think, um, you know, someone you'd see on the Vegas Strip in 1963, yeah. to be very specific. Anyway, so yeah. Very specific. Surprises. Surprises. And Mo, pyrotechnics. <laughs> <laughs> Again, don't, hope Mo's not listening. <laughs> yeah, I really hope Mo's not listening. <laughs> and... Uh, how can just unfortunately we are uh, running out of time uh, really appreciate you guys coming on the show looking forward to the new record thanks for having us can't man. wait to check out the show as well because the lineup's awesome um, how can listeners check out your music and keep up with everything War Baby is up to uh, well definitely please just I would type in War Baby in Spotify but we're also on Facebook it's slash warbaby music and instagram slash at warbaby band or whatever yeah um spotify 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 <laughs> yeah just follow us on instagram it's just the easiest thing and um thanks for having us man yeah thank man you, thank you guys so much no worries at all and uh definitely want to have you guys back on the show again because uh, uh definitely a lot of questions i wasn't able to ask oh, so yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, cool. That was that was tactical. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. So War Baby's third album, You Are Not Here, comes out March 20th and will be available on vinyl through Kingfisher Blues. The band will be playing their LP release show on March 27th at the Rickshaw Theater alongside the Gins, Oswald, and Dead Stuff.